0: is our children learning you didn't build that because you'd be in jail all men and women created by go you know this you know the thing
1: those are the leaders of the past but here at gen z gop we are looking to the future join us as we discuss how we can create a party that is worthy of our generation please clap <laughs> welcome back everybody to season two of the gen z gop podcast this is episode seven I am your co-host, John Olds, and I'm joined again by L and Carter. We are a fully staffed podcast this week, and we are going to be talking about, let's just say, the talk of the town, the thing that just gets you off your feet when you walk into a bar, the thing that's just the ultimate conversation starter, cybersecurity and tech. You know, it's one of those subjects that if you are well-versed in it, you become the center of every social gathering. You will have so many facts, tidbits of knowledge to
0: know and tell and impress your friends with and John, as a software engineer, I'm not appreciating the dry sarcasm oh <laughs> Carter,
1: I don't know why you would think that okay. <laughs> but but nevertheless, we're also joined tonight by George Alderman, uh, who comes to us live from. The proxy NATO headquarters known as the Meridian apartment buildings. Um, and that's a really insider DC meme. Anyway, but George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for,
2: thank you for having me.
3: Yeah. So, George's. Is- joining us with like maybe five minutes of notice so everyone be kind to him it was more like 12 okay cool yeah so if we're being specific george had like maybe 12 minutes of notice um but i'm excited to be back on the podcast this week after a week break accidentally um funny enough because of cyber reasons um someone hacked my apartment building and our power went out um, and I didn't have power for two days. So that was super funny. So I think that's pretty fitting as my kind of first episode back is being on cybersecurity. And I'm excited to talk with it all. Clearly a little bit more excited than John um, because I actually support Carter and his technology endeavors. But we'll see how that goes.
1: So funny enough, L, not to completely get us sidetracked into oblivion, but I was on the phone today. And L, as you are aware, we are moving on Monday into a new building and I was transferring over our electricity service and I call up the company and I tell them, you know, I'm leaving my current apartment at this date. I need my new service to start at this date. And the customer service at the, uh, you know, electrical company heard that as I would like to end my service today. So at five o'clock, right as I'm, you know, closing my laptop from work, from home, I'm making the long commute from my desk to the couch, my power goes out in my apartment building. My food begins to spoil and I'm frantic. You know, I thought we blew a fuse, you know, I'm all frantic. So it it ended up being a snafu with customer service. But I think that segues nicely into a discussion about cybersecurity and how in a world that we're so reliant on technology, we're so reliant on being connected uh, to the world, that leaves us vulnerable to bad actors potentially. And we saw that just last week with the colonial pipeline uh, being hacked. And I remember reading the story and saying to myself, how can you hack a pipeline? It's a pipeline. But apparently I got schooled on that sort of logistics stuff where you can, you know, all of the valves in the pipeline are controlled by computers. And it it seems like a, a Russian actor, I don't know if it was the state or just some, you know, guys that were bored. Um, but anyway, they they hacked the pipeline and it caused massive gas shortages across the country. And we are dealing with the consequences of that.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So we are currently D.C. residents, and I can let you know that I have not been able to get gas over the past week. Um, I've gone to about 10 different gas stations looking for it, but just haven't been able to because nothing's here. Um, And so I think, you know, I think that's a a bigger question because I think our first reaction is something like the gas pipeline um, hacking that kind of created this gas storage or gas shortage, um, is immediately to kind of like turn to domestic policy and be like, oh, thanks, Joe Biden, which I think is super funny, but also kind of entirely out of his control. Um, But I think it speaks further to the fact that our technological infrastructure within the United States is immensely outdated, um, and it's causing a lot of different issues. And so this gas shortage is honestly kind of just the start, and it's only going to get worse from here. Um, And so our country desperately needs to invest in more advanced technological infrastructure, Got something to add, George?
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say it. Like, even though a, as bad as this whole, uh, all the gas charges have been, I like looking at the greater situation, I can't help but feel kind of lucky that it was just a bunch of hackers looking for money and not um, a, a foreign actor actually trying to really put the pain on, uh, on American citizens because that could end up being a lot worse. This showed um, some potentially massive vulnerabilities uh, that the US has in our in our digital infrastructure that leads to our physical infrastructure. And hopefully this can serve as a wake-up call. Hopefully the gas shortage that we had will be the worst thing that we ever faced because if we're vulnerable in that way, I fear that things could get a lot
1: worse. And the stock market obviously reacted as such. You know, a lot of investors, you know, woke up, you know, on various weekdays last week and they were basically saying to themselves, well, if some gas pipeline can be hacked, what other parts of our government can be hacked? And who would want to hack those? And do they want more than just some ransom money? Uh, Do they really want to hit us where it hurts? And it, it brings up this sort of obscure subject that I poked fun at at the beginning, that a lot of our our nation's infrastructure, both in the public and private sector, when it comes to cybersecurity is, is really, really out of date. A lot of it hasn't even been updated since the 1950s and sixties. And, you know, it's not the most glamorous issue to talk about, but it is important nonetheless. And it is one that directly
0: affects Gen Z. Um, and that's why we're having this conversation today. It's important to remember though, that um, when we talk about cybersecurity, not being updated, sometimes that's actually better Um the less connected something is to the internet and to the outside world, right? The less, the fewer vulnerabilities there are. Like, p- someone can't hack your toaster; it's literally impossible. Um, and so, some of these things that have existed since the fifties, sixties, seventies, or whatever that were sort of pre-internet age, um, that is what makes them the most secure. I would be interested when was this pipeline built, and I would uh, I would venture that the security on it is newer um, than than one might assume.
3: No, Carter, I kind of entirely agree with you. And I think that's important is like knowing when we need to connect and when we don't. Um, But I think the pandemic kind of put this into perspective. One, not only just like the overall need for more just basic infrastructure, such as broadband and like actual actual internet access at your home, which we've talked about on other podcasts before. But I think, you know, we always get back to this is in what Carter was just saying, in the sense that there is so much of us that is good that it's basic and just kind of, Levels here where we can all understand, but at the same time there are basic barriers to being able to be connected that are holding us back, um, which also brings up you know major cyber security concerns. Um, is so there something like you know a gas pipeline being hacked? It's something that happens and it's a temporary kind of thing, but it also leads into bigger things. And so, if we think about the increased use of telehealth within the pandemic, there was a two hundred or two thousand seven hundred percent increase in monthly use of telehealth visits. Um, and so, that's not only all of your healthcare data that's being stored online, um, but that's also like your actual doctor's visit that is then stored in a cloud and is then recorded, and um, that can then be hacked and you different things like that too. So cybersecurity quite literally affects every single aspect of our lives. Um, and it's not only important that we have the basic infrastructure for basic security, um, but also that we're kind of being prepared for things that are going to happen that we haven't even thought of yet.
2: Yeah. And especially with how much people Lives are being increasingly, increasingly uh, digitized. I mean, just think of all the smart home equipment that is just basically, in some cases, quite literally handed to us by uh, by some companies like Amazon and Google. Will give you quite a few incentives to you know put this technology in your home and just wire as much of it up as you can to their their services. Um, I remember reading online a couple of years ago what I interpreted as a joke at the time, but now I realize is very serious. Is that um, you know a lot of people will. Fill their homes with as much digital stuff as they can, and have it all connected. But people who you know work in cybersecurity will have uh, nothing that can be like like that can be connected to the outside world. They have one printer uh, that if it starts making weird noises, they throw it out the window because they think it could be compromised. Like because that's how you know vulnerable it could be. All these smart home systems, if you're connected to the internet, you can be hacked through that. And that's what you know scares me about that is if your home security systems can be compromised remotely and all those cameras outside your house, in some cases inside your house, microphones, all that scares the crap out of me frankly that's why i stopped using uh, all those like amazon alexa products
3: so funny enough actually john and i just had like a really recent encounter with cybersecurity um so john and i are lucky enough to have just graduated college um actually george did too but this story kind of relates to john and i um and we just recently graduated college and our university sent us a link to buy our cap and gown Right, So we've been on virtual school, we've had Zoom classes, we've been doing this for like basically a year, and they sent us a link to buy our cap and gown, and so we do. We give us the credit card information so that our cap and gown can get sent to us because we're having virtual graduation ceremonies. Um, And then about a week later, John and I both woke up to random credit card charges from the account that we bought our cap and gown from. Um, and so I think that kind of brings us to a point where something like within our generation, the idea of being able to have end-to-end encryption or something that is you know a little bit more secure online, especially when you're dealing with your credit card information, social security number, all these things, our generation has kind of turned to different ways to be able to do that. And so you're seeing things like one, Venmo, where you can kind of just end-to-end their share financial transactions. Um, But two, even on a larger scale, things like cryptocurrency and what that effect has on cybersecurity. And we're seeing entire towns um, and even big cities like Miami that are starting to use cryptocurrency as a part of paying their employees. Um, And the biggest upside to something like that is the fact that it is secure. It's end-to-end encrypted. Um, And that's why we have things like NFTs and not to get too technical. Um, But it's the fact of cybersecurity Security is fundamentally changing the way that we do life, um, and I do think a big part of that moving forward is going to be cryptocurrency.
0: Well, let me. Uh, this is against the grain uh, for me. I'm actually a huge crypto skeptic. I think crypto derives a lot of its one. It's a completely speculative asset, right? There's nothing that um, crypto Not to has. Mention no... have
1: you have you ever met a like a sane person talk about crypto? <laughs> I feel like they're all really just odd, <laughs> odd eggs. Yeah. Hear so, so me out, I, I
3: made like $200 over Dogecoin as a joke um, And here we are so. that's, something
2: I've, that's a story this I've heard many times before <laughs> Of people this putting in energy. money
0: into Hey, everyone listening out there Invest in index funds They're <laughs> Like steady. a functioning adult, God damn yes. it! <laughs> <laughs> They're steady, it's a good return year over year Blue, blue chip play. stocks, go for it, be, be
3: secure Tell me you're a be dad secure. without telling I, me you're a dad <laughs>
0: Have a three to six month emergency fund. Keep it in a savings account. I recommend Ally Bank. They have a nice high yield savings account. Do that. Invest in index funds. Funder your retirement. Max out your Roth and your, your, your Roth IRA and your 401k. And then if you do all that, then we can talk crypto. Um, yeah, this this is talk. fiscal conservatism right here. Th- yes. yes. Right Carter's
3: here. out here telling us to get high yield savings accounts. I already learned that I... on TikTok like a few months ago. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have two kids and a third on the way. I can't afford to spend all my money on speculative meme-based currencies. Um, okay, but so... hear me
3: out. But, I do, but Carter, I do think there's an upside to the fact that it is almost meme-based, that it is almost speculative, that it's something new. Um, And I think it's that idea of I think that crypto can really play kind of a new role in our economy. Um, Obviously, it's not going to replace money, there is going to be no point in time in which we are using cryptocurrency as like the main form of currency. Um, But I do think it is useful. I mean, we've seen big defense companies such as Honeywell use cryptocurrency and things like NFT, which is an unfugable token, um, as to be able to have end-to-end encryption and in secure financial transactions, especially when you're dealing like something with like our national defense. Um, So when you have a currency that can you know solidify that and be end-to-end encrypted and be so secure, it's kind of hard to be fully in that skeptical camp, mainly because if it works out, even if we're, you know, we're talking like four or five years from now, at the end of the day, if it does what we think it's going to do, it's worth kind of being made fun of, or even kind of being speculative on it immediately, because there is a giant impact on our economy, on our section of defense on all these things that could be changed by crypto. Um, and granted, I don't know too much about it. I'm not like a huge crypto nerd or anything, but I am in the moment right now interested in it. And I think it's something that is speaking to our generation because we're seeing that we're the only ones that really know what it is.
0: So uh, a couple of things there. One, full disclosure, I do own Bitcoin. So while I do classify myself as a crypto skeptic, I'm not skeptical enough to not own a little bit of it. Um, having so, your cake and eating it too.
1: Having your I digital know. cake and eating it too. <laughs> um, if you're vaccinated, you have your digital
0: nanobots. Anyway, I've,
3: I've the noticed that. 5G a big, has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Radiating from my body, it's been great. Um, okay, so, so crypto, right? So, one, it's important to separate out crypto and blockchain, right? Cryptocurrency is a currency based on blockchain, and blockchain is that technology that allows those sort of secure end-to-end transactions, and that creates a a, a digital ledger um, that functions independently. No one needs to upkeep it, right? Um, So blockchain technology is very, very fascinating. That absolutely has a future in our nation. Um, And and I wouldn't be surprised to see that employed in new and innovative ways as time goes on. Cryptocurrency... um, one is incredibly speculative. I think Bitcoin just took it, one of its largest tumbles it's ever had. I think it was at sixty thousand. Is now down to about thirty eight thousand. Um, you want to know what crypto is good for? It's good for um, buying illegal things. It's good for buying cocaine and child pornography and paying these hackers ninety million dollars. Right. And so I am. So sca-
3: Carter, funny yeah. enough that you bring this up. George is our guest here on the podcast tonight, and he actually asked a specific question about this to Mayor Suarez in our town hall event.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what that question was. But basically, of course, things like, particularly Bitcoin, but a lot of these really uh, cutting edge technologies, even going back to satellite phones, a lot of them have their, in the internet itself, in its uh, infancy, they were really used and, you know, uh, used very heavily by criminals for, you know, very shadowy things that includes Bitcoin being used by drug dealers because of how secure and anonymous it is. And that kind of begs the question of like, if they were using that for those reasons, 10 years ago, what are they using now? That could be the next big thing, you know, 10 years from now, is that a way to get ahead of the curve? You know, look at what, you know, the criminals and the drug dealers and, uh, in the, the really shadowy people of the world are using is, Cause that's where so many of these really big breakthrough technologies have come from, or really not come from, but what really fueled their initial usage, you know, it kind of begs the question of what, what do we do with what they're using now? Even heck, what are they using now is beyond me.
0: Well, I just want to say that I'm thrilled where that dialogue went because I started talking about cocaine and child pornography and El said, funny enough, you know, George is with us tonight. So I'm glad that, uh, Oh, there were so many different jokes we could have made.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this happens to me frequently. My social cues they are just not great nowadays, okay? Like, give me a break. We've been in contact. Okay, okay, that's a funny joke. That's an Easter egg joke if any of our Twitter followers are following us on this podcast. No, but so Carter, I agree. Um, And I have to say that that was my biggest kind of barrier into getting involved in cryptocurrency was the fact that it is inherently getting its start from illegal activities, or illicit activities in illicit ways. Um, And I was really, really skeptical, especially when Miami announced that they were going to start offering the opportunity for their employees to be paid in it. Um, And I was kind of like, this is, you know, a joke, like, this is just a bubble, like, this is something that we've kind of entirely made up. Um, But I think it's kind of bigger than that. And whether or not you believe in Bitcoin, I think it is a big thing to say that when you take someone like Mayor Suarez of Miami, um, who is in his you know, late thirties. It is you know entering different things like that. Is he's a, he's a young politician, um, and we're seeing him be super savvy with something like Bitcoin. Like he's engaging in these conversations. He's trying to stimulate the economy by asking the sector to kind of come and invest in Florida and all these different things. And so that best is state, something.
2: What I was gonna say, best state in the union.
3: Okay, yeah, like George might be a little bit biased, <laughs> um, but like it's this. I you know,
0: like I think half this podcast thinks Florida is the best state in the union
3: okay that's, that's true song. we're a little bit outnumbered at the moment um, but i think it's it is in a way like whether you believe in bitcoin or not whether you think it's a fad or if it's going to turn into something big or if you think it's going to fundamentally change the economy it is exciting for me to see young politicians take authority on something like tech that we don't see very frequently i mean i along with probably the rest of the nation watched the facebook congressional hearing where i watched senators ask the like most basic questions like i'm pretty sure that if they were to get facebook they would adamantly use the poke function Um, and so like that's the thing like when we were watching that hearing it's almost nauseating to watch people who are dramatically over than older than us Talk about tech and talk about the internet and talk about things like cryptocurrency or even basic things like Facebook because they don't know what they're talking about.
2: They're asking all these really important questions, some of the most important and powerful stakeholders in the country and in the world. Can they open a PDF on their
1: computer?
3: (laughs) Do they know how to use Google Drive?
1: They probably send the syllabus in Word. So, so let's, let's just talk about this and backtrack really quickly for a second, because we talked about Bitcoin and, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it secure? Is it not secure? Is it, you know, just a, a cool thing that, you know, in reality is used by criminals? I, I don't know. I, I, I tweeted today. I couldn't give lots of a at about cryptocurrency. But, but what I think it is, at least from a political perspective, is it's sort of a signal a like a wedge issue of sorts. I mean, when we talk about cryptocurrency, we're not or or blockchain, we're not necessarily talking about the physical literal thing. We're just talking about an attitude in a sense uh that that indicates that you are supportive of new technologies moving the country forward uh embracing technology, using it for good. And I think that is at its core, what Mayor Suarez is doing. He's he's using technology as a wedge to combat what he would probably call bad liberal policies, right? He's attracting all these uh, companies from these high tax blue states, California in particular, and saying, hey, come to Miami. You know, we have this really fun culture, et cetera, et cetera. Come here, thrive and grow your business. And that's exactly what we see <laughs> is happening. And, uh, you know, we we brought up the Facebook hearing. We brought up the the need for uh politicians particularly republican politicians to embrace technology and embrace these new things and i think suarez is a perfect example of someone who can walk the line of being against the bad parts of tech conglomerates and also in a sense own the libs vis-a-vis tech
3: but i think it's yeah and like it's the sense of it's bigger than us right I think that there is a way to say that tech companies and whether you believe that social media are a monopoly, um, which I'm just here to say that like point, frank, like point blank from my point of view, if you are tweeting about how Facebook has monopoly, you definitely don't understand the definition of a monopoly. Um, but that doesn't mean that tech companies don't have an influence on our lives. Um, And they do. And as conservatives, that is even more so of a thing. I'm not going to deny that. I think that as conservatives, it is smart of us to be able to identify that, to be able to see it. Um, But what isn't smart of us is to be able to identify and see that and then say, "Okay, cool, we need to burn it to the ground or we need to separate it. If you are tweeting about how you are being censored, you are not being censored. Um, I'm sorry, Josh Hawley, but you losing your book deal does not mean that big tech. Is censoring you, um, life has consequences. And so I think that, you know, the conservative ideology overall, and something that's really important for Gen Z conservatives specifically, is understanding that tech is ingrained in our everyday lives. We grew up on social media. We grew up with Wi-Fi and all those different things. Um, my sister could not even tell you what a floppy disk is um, and all of these things. And so it is important for us to understand that you can stand up to big tech and big tech influence, especially within politics, um, especially within controlling your lives, but also understand that that means supporting the innovation and kind of the robust nature of what our economy is going to be in a few years, because tech is the future. So we can be, you know, against big tech censorship and against conservative views being pushed out in the media and how that kind of gets influenced by big tech and so on and so forth. But at the same time, we do have to kind of recognize that we're being entirely hypocritical about speaking out about these things while also utilizing big tech. Well,
0: I, I don't know so much about that, Ella. I think, uh, well, I guess I should say, I, I agree in, with parts, um, but there is a part of me that wonders, right? That the, I don't know that, that that these are these are privately owned entities. They can set whatever rules they want, right? And that's sort of the problem here, right? Is I don't I don't know many conservatives saying that we need to burn all of big tech to the ground. I see people say break them up. I don't know what that means, right? I don't know how you break up Twitter, right? Like we're going to have one Twitter for texts and one for photos. I don't know. Um, And even if you broke up Facebook from Instagram, right? That still doesn't solve most of our problems. The problems are is that Facebook and Twitter play an absolutely huge role in our lives. And right now, Facebook and Twitter could decide to completely erase a politician or an influencer or an activist. Um, digital footprint and digital outreach across the globe without any repercussions, right? And people will say, well, they're a private business. You don't have to use Facebook or Twitter. And I actually used to subscribe to that argument, right? I said, well, they can always make another social media network. And then someone tried with Parler. And then Google and Apple unlisted them from the app stores, right? And then AWS, that's Amazon Web Services for anyone who doesn't know, um said that they couldn't use their own cloud computing uh, uh, systems. So we went from, hey, if you don't like it, make your own platform to if you don't like it, make your own app distribution network to if you don't like it, create your own cloud <laughs> services from the ground uh, from the ground up, right? And um, if you don't like it, reinvent electricity. Exactly, right? And, and so it is sort of like we're talking about if we lived in a country with privatized roads, And people, and all the road owners started saying, no, 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 you can't drive on the roads anymore. And the response some people have is, well, you can always walk or you can always build your own roads. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what the solution is exactly. Right. Because there is the question of, um, I don't know, like I, I, I'm a software engineer myself. Right. Um. I don't love the idea of software engineers, particularly in Silicon Valley, becoming this weird ruling class, right? Because they do tend to skew in a certain direction. And and you probably can't cultivate enough conservative software engineers to make a conservative computing platform, right? Um, And so I do worry that we're we're concentrating a ton of power into relatively few people. Um, And then I also worry from the practical effects, let's say you could create Let's say Parler had been a massive success, right? The country is already so divided as it is. I don't want to live in a country where having a Facebook account is a political statement, right? The the types of social media you use say something about your political identity and values. Um, so I, again, I don't know what the solution is, but I I actually am I'm, I'm a pretty pro free market guy, but I'm I'm very sympathetic to the big tech concerns.
2: Yeah. And I think um, kind of an even more fundamental part of the question of it, to me, it wouldn't even really matter which uh, way the people who own these tech companies and these uh, social media platforms skew. It's the fact that they would have so much, they do have so much power over, you know, what becomes effectively um, the space for ideas to be debated in modern society. And they're unelected, fundamentally unaccountable individuals. That's something that just strikes me, you know, the wrong way of having that much power conglomerated, conglomerated in one spot to people who are in, you know, one small part of the country and answer to their shareholders and not to, you know, the average citizen who's using their uh, who's using their app.
1: So, so last week we had we had Sam Ledoux on and we talked about how the politics needs to be. Uh, less fun. And, you know, people should embrace uh, being in the trenches and doing the hard gritty work that isn't always glamorous. And this week, we're telling you to get off your phone. Uh, So that's some sort of is a theme, we should just call ourselves, you know, Gen Z doom and gloom, you know, make your life really boring and dull and, you know, become wrong. Don't forget, we extolled
0: the virtue of index funds.
1: Well, Carter, I didn't say we weren't Renaissance men, but, you know,
0: (laughs) just men of many talents. You, uh, could, uh, you you guys can, there's a lot of different index funds. You could invest in one that deals in travel. You could invest in one that deals in construction, right? You, there's a lot of choices. We're not saying don't have fun. We're just saying do it responsibly.
2: We sound, we sound like boomers here.
0: <laughs> like, get
2: off your phone, do hard work, and make wise financial decisions. Like this sounds, <laughs> sounds like my yeah. dad
0: would be telling me. There was like a all parody all Gen Z GOP play twitter account yes. that called me a boomer
1: don't I'm- knock it till you try it though <laughs> yeah.
3: no i was gonna say like full disclosure carter is probably the most boomer-esque member of our work um but that's just because he has like three kids and i feel like you age when you have three kids but overall carter i entirely agree with you i'm sympathetic to the big tech concerns um i think the pragmatic nature of my mind is, you know, I understand how the free market works and kind of the free market of ideas. Um, but I'm also not a not naive to the fact that we often break markets and then claim that they're the free market. Um, and I think that's why Democrats have all these talking points about like, Oh, capitalism doesn't work. And it's like, Oh, no, you broke the free market. And now you're complaining about all of the restrictions that you have that broke the market. And I think that's kind of what we've done with tech. Um, And I think a lot of kind of the big tech concern also falls into like the big media concerns in the sense of your CNN pundits, your MSNBC pundits, all those different things like that. They're also going to have influence on people on social media um, and the leaders of social media. And so I think it's that idea of being sympathetic to the big tech concerns and, you know, people that want to break up big tech. I think it's out of the fact that there does need to be kind of a fairness if we're going to have a free market of ideas Um, in the sense of if you're going to have a free market of ideas, you have to be able to freely share ideas. And that's not something that can necessarily happen on the internet right now. Um, But that's not uniquely specific to the internet or tech that's unique to it's, it's not unique to education or any of these other things it happens in at the end of the day, as conservatives in a current world that is more liberal leaning, We are going to have to fight for our voice to be heard. And I think it's cowardly of us to any single time that we have to fight for our voice to be heard or speak up that we say, oh, well, this is big tech. Well, that might be true. As conservatives, we believe in the need to fight for what we believe in. We're not afraid of those challenges. Um, And right now we're doing quite a lot of whining about it um, and not enough speaking up against it
0: you talk about because because i I understand what you're saying right that we we break the free market with with overzealous regulations right i've I've seen all the time with the unemployment insurance right and people saying businesses are having trouble hiring because unemployment insurance pays so high and i see people go herder i thought you were fans of the free market i guess your wages just can't compete it's like yeah of course they can't idiot we can't compete with the federal government which can raise and spend money willy-nilly um but with tech, I actually think it's the opposite. I think this is one of the areas of the market that is the least regulated, in part because it's so new. And the market incentives for social networks make them t- almost too big to fail. Um, I mean, what what gives any social network value? Like, t- We could all come up right now with the coolest, most innovative, revolutionary social network right now. And try to sell it to someone. And the first question they're going to have is, how many users do you have? Because that's all the value of social network is, is how many users are on it. And so the larger a social network is, the more valuable it is. That is the incentive for a social network is to grow as big and as large as it can. And the larger it gets, the harder it is to, to leave, right? It's kind of like the reason that I have an iPhone, And I've thought about switching to Android. I don't because all of my family has iPhones and I don't want to be the one guy that turns our group chat green.
3: So Carter, I'm going to ask you a question like kind of relating to this in the sense of, do you think that like as conservatives, sometimes we wrong ourselves with that though in the sense of part of the conservative narrative right now um, and honestly, something part of the party narrative right now um, that we're going down is using this like, Oh, like combating big tech and tweeting about it to gain more Twitter followers or to gain more of an influence or to gain more of a reaction. And so I think it's hard, especially like as conservatives and Gen Z conservatives that grow up online, that grow up with big tech, whether you choose to define that as or not, is the fact that we are playing ourselves because we're complaining about something as a means of getting more attention online.
0: I, I don't know. I, I I get what you're saying, El. Part of me thinks, though, I I don't know what attitudes were like in in, uh, the revolutionary days, right, with the early colonists, right? But it it, it almost seems like these people that are complaining about big tech online, I'm not trying to lionize them too much because I'm no Josh Hawley fan, right? But like, it's almost like pre-revolution days, someone saying, hey, isn't it a little crazy that a tiny island across the sea makes all of our laws? And someone going back and saying, what are you talking about, you know? you can say that just fine and things are good. And, and we, you know, we've got things, but then as things started getting worse, those people seemed prophetic. Right. And so I think we're in a similar situation where like, I I think that as of now, most people that get banned from Twitter deserve it. Right. Like I think Trump again should. So I guess I'll say, I think Trump, according to the guidelines of Twitter, earned his Twitter ban. I think he earned his Facebook ban, right? But the question then becomes, should unelected private citizens in San Francisco have the power to ban the president of the United States? And just because they may be using that power in a justified way now doesn't mean that they'll always be using that power that way. And that's what concerns me. Don't, don't you think that... In, in light of
1: all the controversies that we've, we've talked about today with, with, with regard to censorship and, you know, various security measures and, and what have you, it's sort of logically, it brings up the question of what can we do to have our phones, our social media accounts define our lives less? And don't you think that it would be virtuous in a way to have some sort of a movement maybe it's inspired by coronavirus where we all get really introspective and think about these things and say holy crap I'm so beholden to uh, my phone that you know I, I should really put it down and, and enjoy the world D- do we think that that is an effective way of combating the the outsized influence they have on our lives or the businesses we may own or the 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 501c4 organizations that we found on a whim during the summer, you know, is, is that the right avenue? Or am I just too naive?
3: I'm, I, I'm not sure that you're naive, John, but I think, I think for me, the, the biggest difference is the fact of influence is one thing, right? Um, in a sense of the president of the United States, whether you liked Donald Trump or not, his Twitter was funny. And you knew that he was going to react to things. And you knew that when you were online late at night that you were going to go on and you were going to see like six or seven Donald Trump tweets.
2: Those 3 a.m. Right? tweets really hit different.
3: You and know? They did. But one, and like this is something that Carter brought up that I think is really, really an important delineation here, is did Donald Trump earn his Twitter ban based off of the terms of service? Yes. Um, so is it within the rights of Facebook or Twitter to exercise that right? based off of the fact that he violated the terms of service that you agreed to when you joined the website. Yeah, sure. Um, But the problem is, is that influence doesn't always equate to accountability. And accountability is what's missing in big tech and it's what's missing on social media, is the fact that the president of the free world um, or the leader of the free world, Donald Trump, gets banned from Twitter for doing something. Um, But then you can see that there are people... Uh, like jihadi terrorists or other terrorist groups or communist governments. Um, The CCP quite literally goes online on Twitter every single day and denies genocide that we know is true, and they're allowed to stay on Twitter. And so the problem is, is that we have terms of service, we have agreements that do allow for someone to get banned on Twitter. Uh, I am someone that is Quite frequently exposed to people like the Groypers um, and things like that, which are people that deserve to get banned on Twitter. Um, you know, kind of goes full conversation with this story in the sense of I was doxxed, my like internet or not my internet, my address and my phone number, were at least on the internet by random people, and that is violating Twitter's terms of service. Yet, people who post my phone number and my address on Twitter, trying to you know give me death threats or any other type of threats. Don't get banned off of Twitter, but the president and the leader of the free world does because you don't agree with his politics, and that's the that's the problem: is the fact that big tech has an influence, um, and the influence isn't necessarily a problem, but the lack of accountability definitely is.
2: And that's one of the big troubles, I think. You know, social media has basically gone mainstream only basically the last 10 years of course it existed in you know fits and starts before that but it's really and even just in the last five years how much it's accelerated its influence on stuff it really feels like it's growing it's going through uh, a really uh, a really ugly adolescence right now and some really bad growing pains of we're slowly and really painfully learning the the drawbacks of this technology that does you know a lot of I would say objectively good things, you know, being able to connect people and, you know, being able to like exchange ideas like that. But there's also a lot of drawbacks that social media has been, has been bringing, um, just on our, on our country, on our communities, and frankly, on the world that we weren't able to see, you know, 10, 15 years ago when people were conceiving of these ideas. Um, so hopefully, you know, as things go on, there will begin you know, uh, there, there will begin to be like a positive growth of, you know, these working out, <laughs> I don't want to call them the quirks, because it's more than just the quirks, There are some serious negative drawbacks that are undeniable that social media and just, you know, tech has had on on society. Um, hopefully, those will start to be worked out as we grow into this information age, because right now we're going through a very ugly adolescence period. And it, it's, uh, and we're seeing it everywhere.
0: I think one of the things that the Republican Party has struggled with, right, is um, I would say really since George W. Bush, that we haven't had a a super consistent set of um, like a a defining governing conservative vision. I guess maybe in the Tea Party years, our vision was less government. Right. Um, But but in the Trump years, it's just sort of been. I mean, we didn't even pass a platform in 2020 we just said that we we support whatever president Trump is on about right and I think that a conservative agenda that can win in the future um, and that sort of takes the good from the trump years and the good from the bush years is one that focuses on building community because I think that that's what's driving a lot of resentment in our rural uh, or you know our rural communities it's what's driving um this increasing polarization is the fact that, people have grown more insular. People don't go to church anymore. They don't go to, you know, the rotary club anymore, right? Everyone just stares at their phones all day and and we're less trusting of our neighbors and it, and it's easier to not have to interact with other people. And not only is it easier to not have to interact with people who disagree with you, it's easier to only interact with people that agree with you to find um, you know, to, to find those people. Previously, if you had a weirdo fringe view in your town of 5,000 people, right? No one else held it. And you just sort of figured that you were a weirdo. Now you can find the dozens of other weirdos across the nation and, and, and and then those views proliferate. Right. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't know what that vision looks like, but I think a guiding principle for the conservative movement should be, how can we restore that sense of community? Right. How do we restore that sense of civic virtue, that sense of responsibility to our citizens? And I think that is the kind of message that, um, that cuts across demographics, both racially and uh, age-related ones as well. Yep. And, and Carter, I, I actually couldn't agree more. And I think
1: to, to go even further than that, just from, from a nuts and bolts perspective, there's some pretty basic things, um, you know, like making sure we can't hack pipelines or making sure that the federal and state governments have proper funding To make sure that their databases don't look like they're old enough to vote and just that sort of basic stuff right you know i've always been a big proponent of of look if we're going to have government involvement in our lives we should make sure that it's it's good government and it's efficient government and when you're running internet explorer uh, and and some you know obscure database or crm system that that's a problem so modernizing government state federal local it improving cybersecurity, putting together a basic framework, as you mentioned, Carter, for how we deal with issues of privacy, that that has to be the future. And the only way we're going to get there is if we have people that are tech literate. And I am 22 years old, and I barely know anything about this stuff, but I feel like if someone tells me what blockchain is, I'm not going to think it's uh, you know the title of an episode from Bob the Builder. So that's all I'm going to say about that.
3: No, John, I entirely agree with you, um, and I think that I take, you know, obviously I took a little bit of a different route as you. I think I, I kind of foretold the tech takeover of our lives, uh, and I chose to double major in data science um, when I kind of started my college degree and my college journey. Um, and that's something that's definitely really benefited me. Um, and so I think when we have this conversation about big tech, I mean, you guys heard me talk firsthand. I'm definitely really, really skeptical about social media CEOs and kind of the private influence that we have on something that is a public forum. Um, But at the same time, I think that we get into dangerous territory when we conflate big tech with the opportunity of technology, whether that be cryptocurrency or blockchain or digitized medical records, because you need to understand that even in the United States in the year 2021, there are hospitals out there that are primarily using paper medical records. Um, And modernizing our technology infrastructure um, and making it so that gas pipelines can't be hacked, you know, all these different things. That also means making, you know, the opportunity for you to have your medical records on your iPhone and be able to look at all of that at once. That means for us to be able to use that data to make better decisions, whether that be making our government more efficient or giving us more freedom, um, connecting us thoroughly through communication. All of these different things are under the purview of tech. Um, And so when we use the term big tech and cracking down on big tech, I really caution the conservative movement in kind of siloing ourselves against these major technological advancements that are going to absolutely spur our economy and kind of Honestly, in my opinion, win us this war with China um, and kind of like who's going to take over within the free world and keep the United States leader. The only way we're going to be able to do that is through innovation. um, And modern day innovation is entirely equated to tech. Um, And so when we talk about big tech, Let's not get in the game of assuming that everything with technology is out to get us and something that the conservative movement has to be against. Um, because if we continue to be against technology overall, that means we're against American innovation, which is going to be against the well-being of our country, which is a huge conservative principle.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. It's a very tenuous balance that needs to happen. You know, it's with great power comes great responsibility. Like I'll it's great to be able to access your medical records on your phone, but then what happens when it gets hacked by someone? you know, there's things that need to be worked out and to go back to what I said earlier, of us going through the very ugly adolescence period of, of technology, these are things that they need to be worked out because if we don't honestly address these issues and just, you know, try to throw a blanket approach of like, nope, it's just bad overall, we're not going to deal with it. Technology is going to keep advancing whether or not we, we want it to. And uh, we need to be able to look at these issues as they're coming on, and in some cases, if we can, you know, get out ahead of them and say, all right, I see this problem with this technology. I see the goods with it, but also here's some bads that maybe we can foresee, or maybe here's some ones that we can, that we can see that are emerging. Let's see if we can address that and not just, you know, throw a blanket on the entire thing and, you know, miss the entire point of it all, because this can really improve our lives, but it can also make them a lot worse if we don't do it right.
3: At the end of the day, I would rather live in the United States where Twitter chooses to, whether it's right or not, and it's not, in my opinion, um, in the sense of, you know, continue to subtly censor. Um, but in the sense of I would rather live in the United States where there's Twitter and Facebook and I can go on there and I can download Parler and I can download Instagram or Snapchat, all these different things, than live in China under CCP rule where you don't get access to any of this social media.
2: Now that's a hot take. I'd rather, you know, you'd rather live in the US and China. Well, no, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not a hot take.
3: You
1: heard it here first, folks.
3: Okay, but like, here, at the end of the day, like, when we have these like long, immense conversations about big tech and how it's ruining our lives, um, we are immensely lucky to be able to have this liberty and to be able to engage in this. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, that's what puts the U.S. forward. That's what makes the U.S. the best country in the world is the fact that we are open to innovation. We are opening to solving these challenges. Um, and so at the end of the day, as much as big tech can be positioned as an enemy, then we have larger enemies than Twitter and Facebook. Um, and we should be glad that we're able to use these services um, because there are places that are in the rest of the world, such as China, that view these services as fundamentally a threat to their power and control. Um, and so I would rather live in the United States where I have the freedom to use these services and to take back that power and control than someone tell me not to use it. Just,
2: just be careful about how we do it, like in your personal life, you know, maybe wiring up your entire home system to be connected to the internet when you use the same password for everything maybe that's not the most prudent choice and then maybe you know having you know these massive you know uh, so parts so, so what much large parts of our uh, infrastructure connected to um, you know the internet as well and having no government policies to address how to how to protect them or having social media companies that are able to you know decide who gets to fundamentally speak in a public square, and there be completely unaccountable to um to you know people where power should be accountable. just be careful about it, damn it
1: so so I'll sum up this this episode with tech is the most engaging topic you'll ever find. You should invest in index funds, um, you know, take advantage of that compound interest. You should get off your phone and go outside. And conservatives should be engaged on issues of tech, and I think that's the big takeaway tonight. Uh, as always, I'm telling you guys,
0: telling you guys I, I I upgraded from a one and a half percent cash back credit card to two percent. <laughs> and if you God. take that extra half percent, right, and you invest it in an index fund over the course of forty years, right, that'll be like twenty five thousand dollars that's a Carter, lot of Carter, money i don't
1: think microsoft got into your vaccine i thought the big banks got in there <laughs>
0: that's it. Um, no i got my vaccine from dave ramsey
1: <laughs> good god
0: all right that's enough of that this is getting out of hand really
1: fast you guys wait, wait, can wait, wait, like, wait. subscribe up. holy moses Hold i'm up. trying to get off the pot no i know you
3: are no you're trying to wrap it off i just kind of want to give one last quote which is go touch grass gen z gop 2021 and i was-
2: To quote the great American songwriter, John Prime, blow up your TV, throw away your paper, go to the country, build you a home.
0: And And when you buy a home, make sure to get a low interest rate. If you compare, you can go with the different lenders, right? You can often get a bit lower of an interest rate. Bringing the closing cost fees down—that's good. You take that money, you invest it in Cards index funds.
3: Turbo Tax is like the best invention of like the past <laughs> my, decade. My wife yeah, is this is the Gen Z GOP
1: podcast brought to you by H and Block. Yeah.
3: All right, all right.
1: I'm cutting you both off. You're both you're both being muted. That's absolutely enough of that. Like, subscribe, and we might spin Gen Z GOP off as a wealth management firm. That's it. Bye, folks. <laughs>